welcome to the podcast, The Common Bridge with Richard Helpy. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors, but with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. My name is Brian Kruger, and from time to time, I'll be the moderator and host of this podcast. Hey, Rich, it's good to see you. I understand we had a debate this week. I don't know if you've heard about it. <laughs> yeah, I caught that uh, actually uh, a couple nights ago. I sat down and um, watched it start to finish. I felt like I had to have headgear on or something, you know. And <laughs> yeah, Well, there's that, too. Uh, I want to say is thank goodness for C-SPAN and that we don't have to hear people telling them what they said. Uh, but, it, but you have to admit that the country is united at last. Yeah, how's that? I thought no, we were divided. Oh, so look, this is unofficial, but just looking at my social media, mm-hmm. universal consensus that the first presidential debate was not only not presidential, but it was a veritable shit show. And I know I can use that because this is my show. It's your show. Um, but again, look, it was a mostly peaceful debate. And uh, Chris Wallace was a, another unifying. I think the country all feels bad for Chris Wallace, that poor guy. Oh, man. Let, let's start there. If, if you're Chris Wallace, what do you do with that? I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Chris Wallace. I think he tried. I don't know what he could have done. Other than, uh, as one of my friends suggested, shock collars that he controlled the button for or something like that. Yeah, it, yeah I, I don't know. Just... Yeah, and, and I'm sure people saw this, but the funniest thing I read was Canada must feel like they're living in the apartment above the meth lab. <laughs> like, come on. But uh, um, I know you wanted to talk about the issues of that debate, but it's literally impossible to do. I mean, do, do you want to hit? Well, I mean, do you want to hit any of this? Yeah, let's. I want to come back to the debate, but also that. You know, things happen before the debate and after the debate. And, you know, I want to strive to say something that's not what other people are saying, because, again, I think there's a a lot of consensus. But, you know, a couple of things that are floating around out there right now, like the Sunday before the New York Times uh, did a story on Trump's taxes. And, you know, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how they got their hands on that. That's what I was thinking. How How did they get that? That's that's really, really suspicious. Yeah, and and do they have a full set of them? And I read all three articles, and you know it's disingenuous. It's it's an obvious hit piece. It's designed to scare. You know they bring numbers out of context. I did question that seventy thousand dollars for hairstyling, mm-hmm. and my first reaction was, mm, "This is Trump. I wonder if it's like a got a happy ending or something, you know, <laughs> or there." But then you know it could have been you know if you had a a full-time hairdresser that, you know, that could have accounted for that. I understand that's about the going rate for that kind of thing for celebrities. And, you know, if Trump's a celebrity, so why not? That hair looks like it's, you know, a real piece of work. So it is a piece of work. Okay. I think we'll leave that there. (laughs) Um, But also, I don't know if the Times did this deliberately, if they had accountants that advised them or if they just didn't understand fundamental accounting or they didn't figure that their readers did and they wanted to push this through where they kind of broke it up. And I'm not going to go chapter and verse through this, but there's a couple things that they did. So first of all, they wanted to report out how an investor deals with risk capital and what the tax code says versus an employee getting a W-2. They 
stepped away from the fact that depreciation is a non-cash expense to make, oh my goodness, it looks like there's an operating loss. You know, we didn't see a what a cash-on-cash basis would look like. And also, oh, we've got this scary-sounding debt numbers, and maybe we should do an episode on that. But the way they've positioned it is, hey, there's $421 million in personal debt that's coming due. And I'm just going to do a quick primer here on commercial real estate. So that's one number and one deal term, okay? $421 million of debt and a personal guarantee at the end of it. So and I'll try to do this as quick as I can. In commercial real estate, the loan term versus the amortization schedule sets up a balloon payment. So for example, someone might get five-year term on the loan, but the payback schedule is done as if it was a 20-year loan. So at the end of five years, it's designed to have a balance on it, And that's when the investors have to go get new financing or put more equity in. But that's a very common construct. Also, when banks lend, there's assets in front. So we don't know for that $421 million if that's an accurate number. We don't know if there's a billion dollars worth of real estate that that's secured by, just like a house mortgage. A person, you know, might own, you know, $150,000, but their house is worth $200,000. Okay. You're still okay. Same type of construct. So we don't know that. And that's a concept called loan to value. And we don't know what's in front of that personal guarantee. So a typical construct would be all of the income from the property, the rental payments on the leases and the like in commercial real estate, then the real estate itself would all be seized to satisfy the loan in the event of a default. And then it might turn to a personal guarantee, and then it might be capped in some way. Okay. So we it, it was selectively reported, and it was selectively reported with an intent. And I, I think the president could have and should have done a better job with this. And frankly, I'm not surprised by the outcome that real estate has a lot of deductions. And when he wasn't showing his tax returns, you know, I figured and I told a good friend of mine back in January, a very, by the way, left edge guy. I said, what do you think you're going to get out of Trump's tax returns? And he says, well, well, maybe we're going to find out he's not as wealthy as he's telling us he is. And I said, well, look, that's you can't get that off a tax return. It's not not there. I said, what it's probably going to show is he didn't pay very much personal income tax because in real estate, you pay your taxes in other forms elsewhere. And that's looks like what occurred, although it looks like he did pay substantial taxes in some years and wrote them off against uh, losses in another year. But anyway. Well, something that you you'd said earlier in this season, and uh, as a reminder, this is the last episode of the season, but um, you said earlier this year. When you reminded our listeners that when Trump was elected, the New York Times came out the next day or that following Sunday with their editorial that said, we will do everything we can to remove him from office. And uh, and I I think New York Times, uh, some of the New York Times investigative reporting needs to take a little bit of that in in context. Almost, they should almost make it as a disclaimer because I think people forget that they said that. I mean, there's been an omission to do that. 
Well, that's I think that's true. And if time permits today, I'd like to get into some of the Senate Judiciary hearings that happened yesterday on September 30th. Well, let's go back even a little bit further because this story has been buried. It's, it'll come up again probably in the next few days. Um, but um, let, let's get to Amy Coney Barrett. Let's get to his SCOTUS nominee. Do you have any thoughts about that? She seems very crystal clean, as they say now. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that uh, on that nomination? Well, first of all, if we had leadership in Washington from either party, this is a very solvable issue. And you can't tell me that Chuck Schumer looked at that list of 41 candidates that the president suggested he might nominate, and he can't find one or two or three people that are acceptable. Mm-hmm. And that, that minority leader Schumer could have gone to McConnell and said, look, we know you're going to get the nomination and we know you're going to confirm it. We'd like to, for the good of the country, be united on this. And here's a couple people that we think would be acceptable and let's get the Supreme Court back where it's supposed to be, uh, which is reviewing legislation for the constitutionality of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, let's do that. And, you know, of course, that didn't happen. Well, it would have been interesting if that flip flop because the, the Trump side would have said, hey, look, here's a list and let's look at your list. There's got to be somebody in there we can find. Yeah, right. It, but that would have been like functioning parties in a functioning government, uh, <laughs> right. which apparently is something that the people that are elected don't want us to have. Yeah. And which, you know, Brian, that's the theme of the common bridge. And I'm very humbled by the audience numbers that are drawing. And it's, I think people are understanding that both of the political parties are dysfunctional. They're not doing the work of we, the people. And they're fueled by a reporting industry that's dragging us into divisiveness. Hey, how about school me on this? And, and, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm keeping this moving along, but something just got, I, I wrote some notes down here. Tell me what Project Veritas is. It was before the debate, and it was something about uh, vote harvesting. And, and um, do you know anything about that? It was in Minnesota. I know um, a little bit about Project Veritas. They were uh, uh, made famous, first of all, by having secret cameras go in and record Planned Parenthood. That was the woman whose name I don't recall, you know, talking about the harvesting of organs from aborted uh, I'm going to stop there and, and, and selling them. And they also, they did something with hidden cameras in Minnesota where Ilan Omar had people going around and collecting ballots from various housing projects and telling people how to vote and the like. The media outlets aren't picking up on that at all. You would think either they would be horrified or perhaps they feel a little bit threatened by that. But look, I want to I want to talk a little bit about the debate itself, if we could. Sure. And so, first of all, my first impression was they both looked really old. And uh, Biden looked a little ashen too, but they both looked old. Yeah, and look, people have to understand. Nobody wanted a president like Donald Trump. You know, we didn't come back in 2016 and say, "Hey, you know what? You know it would be a good idea. Let's have a reality show host and real estate developer and." obnoxious character as the president. That sounds like a good plan. And you know, my construct with Trump, he's not prepared for the job. Uh, He has no interest in being prepared for the job. And he has massive personal problems. And that was all on full display at the debate. I mean, he didn't even prepare for the debate. Right. 
And that's part of the job. Mm-hmm. And and being unprepared when they got into it on a fairly personal level, I mean, that's why the, the only app term is shit show. Yeah. And and they both lowered to it. And uh, Trump at least brought America together. Now, we America really doesn't want a president <laughs> like that. Um, right. and, and I wrote, these are some of the notes I was writing at the time. I said, 20 minutes in, they both look like idiots. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and I was trying to go into this with the idea that, you know, I'd say, okay, well, what did each of them do well? And, and what didn't they do well? Well, let's start there then. Let, let's start, so tell me, what, 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 let's start with Biden. What do you think Biden did well? Well, weirdly, the first note I made was he was respectful to the president. <laughs> that, he was, yes. He was. That was, I mean, he started out really good. I mean, what, <laughs> Joe Biden, I think, as people will agree, he's a nice man. He loves his country. He's got an affable personality. Okay. And I think he was trying to do that. And he was, it is locked in a very contentious race right now. But, but I thought he was, you know, he started out good. Yeah. And, and then he also agreed that Amy Coney Barrett is a good judge. And he's like, mm-hmm. she's probably as good as any. It's like, oh, there was awesome statesmanship. Sure. And then he began to pivot to women on his first answer with healthcare. And I thought that's great. And, you know, my comment was that, you know, look, if they, they can always bring new legislation in. And probably at another topic, this whole thing about people losing their health care is grossly overstated. It's a scare tactic. It's not going to happen no matter what the Supreme Court does. I thought that Biden held his composure as uh, President Trump was taunting him about socialists. Mm-hmm. For a while, anyway. He held, held it yeah, up. well, you know, everybody's got a point, right? right. Um, you know, and he said, I'm not going to talk with the president. And uh, he was clear. He said, you know, Trump has no plan. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He looked into the camera. He, I liked his line. He said, get out of your bunker and off your golf course and into the Oval Office. I wonder if he's referring to the bunker as the actual golf course bunker, like he was in the trap a lot. Of yeah, that. exactly. What I, that's, that's what I thought. It, I mean, it was probably a prepared line, but it was yeah, well right. delivered. Um, you know, and he did say the tax code's going to change. I don't think there's any dispute about that. And I thought he was up front uh, with that. I thought he had a great answer on the race issue. I thought he was very, very solid. He, he said, yeah, there are bad apples in the police force. And he, again, talked about being a unifier and bringing everyone together. What do you and, think about him looking at the camera every now and then? I thought that was interesting because Trump didn't do that necessarily. Biden would kind of pause and look right into the camera. Yeah, I thought, I thought, I thought that was effective and um, because, you know, he wanted to take the case to the American people that were tuned in and I, I thought it was effective. I, the one thing I did note that early on he was looking down a lot and different debates have different rules. Some you can bring in notes, paper, like, so if you want to respond to someone, you you make a, a commentary, you know, you make a note to yourself. Others, you can bring in notes if you want to. I don't know what he, he was looking down and I don't know if he was gathering his thoughts, but he seemed to be reading or what, but he was, he was kind of getting ready. Of course, that was before the brawl started. Yeah, but he looked down so much. It, it was almost like too much of a head dip because it was a little troubling. It, it didn't look. Well, uh, but again, you know, some debate rules allow people to refer to notes. I mean, you know, it, 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 and that doesn't trouble me if he's, you know, he's only got, so you got two minutes to say something. You want to make sure you land on all your points. And I don't have a problem if he if he wants to do it that way. And, and for, last thing I will say very good, I thought that Joe Biden was a great close. I will support the outcome. Let's count the votes. 
I mean, as a contrasting point to the way the president closed, I thought I thought Biden did really well with that. Okay. Well, let's switch over to the president now. How, what, what did you think Trump did well? Well, I had to really dig deep. OK. Um, <laughs> yeah. And what I think he did well, first of all, was that he said, you know, you don't know Amy Coney Barrett's view on Roe versus Wade. You're making an assumption. And again, if we had a better press corps, people would understand if there was a case brought in that modified Roe versus Wade, the absolute case of the most, the greatest change would be to go back to the states, okay, which is where it was prior to Roe versus Wade. Now, is that optimum? That's a policy matter. That's a legislative matter. But I think a better point the president could have made was you must be legislating from the bench if you want to say all these laws are going to change. Because the answer should be, let's come up with laws that can get through our legislature and onto the desk of whoever the president's going to be, and let's pass them and then let the Supreme Court get back to like saying whether they're constitutional or not. And anyway. it seems like the last 30 years, every uh, Supreme Court justice nominee that the right has brought up has been a, a, a big fear-mongering uh, campaign on the other side saying, well, this is going to change Roe v. Wade. I, I no, think they, they, I don't even like that. Now they're, and again, this is more bad reporting. Well, this judge was appointed by this president. That judge was reported by that president. I think that's just a bad construct because when people get onto the court, they learn, they evolve. That's why you see nine zero cases, okay? It's like, they all didn't start in the same place, but they kind of end in the same place. I think there's a collegiality and a respect in the court, and they're trying to get to an answer that's good and is going to last a long time. Now, have the nominees been treated well? Clearly, no. And I think there should be a bigger price to pay for that. But listen, when Amy Coney Barrett goes before the Senate for confirmation, I'm pretty sure Christine Blasey Ford's not going to be brought out again. But you never know. So anyway, I thought Trump did well with that. I think he did well with what he's talking about with drug prices. And actually, there's a lot of substance to that. I think he really made a great key point about, uh, you know, Joe Biden's got 47 years in government and didn't do it. He's had 47 months. And that, had he not been such a rude, obnoxious person, would have been a great line to deliver as a humble person to serve, but that's where his personal issues overshadow. He's just mad that he's not getting credit for the good things they're putting out, he's, and he right. takes it personally. It's Yeah, he could have landed that punch so hard. That was a great line, and he kind of blew it by kind of throwing up all over it afterwards. And, because and it's, he, all per, it's, it's all, anyway, I'm supposed to say what he, what he did well. So I'm yeah, trying to do that. All right. Okay. So he said, uh, you know, Biden, look, you couldn't do the job with swine flu. Look at all the infections we have. And I think, you know, Biden was rocked on that. I thought he did a great pivot from race issues to talking about law enforcement. And that the more I am diving into this issue and I'm looking at finding some resources. The cities that are cutting their police budget, they have members of minority communities coming forward and say, please don't do this. You're putting us at risk. And that is something that we need to have a better dialogue about as a country. He baited Biden with the left will take over to try to drive a wedge between the Sanders Ocasio-Cortez wing of the party. And that is something Joe Biden will have to contend with if he's elected president. And I think Biden could probably sway a lot of people in the middle by talking about that, similarly to the way 
The Republicans had to do that during the time of the Tea Party. Yeah, yeah good comparison. Yeah. Another thing he did well, he, I mean, he did point out about crime rising. He did say that Joe Biden couldn't say law and order. He said that Joe Biden didn't have the endorsement of any police organizations. And then I think he made a strong finish around voter integrity. And, you know, there are states that have done mail-in voting for years, apparently works there. But these are all fairly sophisticated systems that take time to come up. I think most states have a good absentee system. So we, we just need to make sure that we have a vote that has integrity and a county that has integrity. Okay, now let's go back to what you thought uh, Biden did not do well. Well, first of all, he let Trump get under his skin. Okay. And, yeah. you know, understandable, but let's just leave it there. The other thing he dodged the question about the filibuster and packing the court by saying, well, that would become the issue. Well, that is a very serious issue, okay, mm-hmm. that, that we really need to hear from Joe Biden about that before we cast our vote for presidents. Again, under his skin, would you shut up, man? <laughs> Again, don't blame the guy, but, you know, keep yapping, man. It, it really lowered the dignity. And again, I'm trying to imagine somebody in Winnipeg watching this. <laughs> you know, like how they're going to react to to it. Um, keep the border closed, Trudeau. We don't, we're not going there. Actually, those, tra- those trash talking might hear in the corner of a drop in hockey game. So maybe the Winnipeg guys would have thought that was all right. That's right, but I don't think Trump or Biden can skate that well. So um, I wonder why he kept looking down at what he was looking at. You know, he said, "How many of you people at home have lost someone?" I don't think that was a great line because they're overplaying the COVID deaths and the shutdowns and saying that those are Trump's fault. There's a lot of data to be taken apart with that, and that's a subject for another day. Yeah, but I, and I was watching that on social media. I was watching the debates and watching it on social media with what was trending with uh, Twitter on that. And after he said that line, the, the vast majority was not me, not me, not me, not me. So, so you're right. It didn't hit. Not, it, and I'm not to diminish how many lives we've lost, but he was playing it as though we've lost half our population. Yeah. And look, if you understand how medical records are coded, compiled, transmitted, et cetera. And you um, would. Yeah. And the story is not what's being depicted. Again, that comes from our defective uh, news reporting. And I guarantee you that the numbers aren't what is being reported. I'm just going to leave that there and maybe we'll do a, a piece on, on that. Okay. First of all, I thought it was distasteful about bringing in the sons. Although, you know, you could say Trump had a legitimate reason for bringing up Hunter Biden and Burisma and the money that Hunter got from China. And Joe Biden's response to talk about his heroic son, Bo, and his tragic death as a response to Hunter, I think was just muddying the waters. And that would have been a place for a moderator to step in and say, well, you know, Mr. Vice President, I think that, you know, we're talking really about Hunter and these are fairly well-documented cases. And, you know, the American people need to understand what role did you play in these things. And the last thing I would say is this, is that Biden had a great opportunity, and it's a, it's a, I look at it as a missed opportunity, to condemn Antifa and the things that are going on on the left. He says it's an idea, not a movement. And 
I was a little surprised about that, that when the first civil unrest started back in May, you and I actually were talking about that you can't have the same tactics, the same signs, the same font, weaponry. Same. Yeah, right. <laughs> like there, there's, there's, there's some management thing in there. And I did look up, by the way, at that time, you know, if you put in Antifa.com, it took you to the Biden-Harris webpage. Uh, I don't know if that still does that, but it, indeed, that was true. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, look, we've had 100 plus nights of riots. Okay. And that's law enforcement's definition. You have people like Ted Wheeler, the mayor of Portland, trying to say, well, that's all the fault of the president or it's the fault of the right wing. And this is the same guy whose condo was being stormed and who barely got across town by ardent leftists and anarchists. Mm-hmm. Then it became a riot. And, that, and no, well, it only became a riot when he was writing to his uh, that's right, neighbors, uh, right. HOA. Yeah. So that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's um, another thing. And by the way, I, I, I do think it's probably wasn't delivered really well that Mr. Biden ran through his talking points that, you know, the police take a psychiatrist along on 911 calls. I mean, I think there needs to be access to something other than escalating physical control. But I, I think he could have made it sound more practical. And then the other thing is this, that the Americans are going to be deprived of health care. Very few Americans are actually covered under what folks would understand as Obamacare, okay, or Patient Protection Affordable Care Act. If you're covered under an employer's plan, really life hasn't changed much for you. And as you know, I think that's a terrible way to deliver health care, that you'll hear the 20 million people would lose their coverage. That's not necessarily true. What that represents is an expansion of Medicaid for able-bodied people uh, without children to two times, I believe it is, the poverty level can get Medicaid. And again, that's a policy thing that not, not, wouldn't necessarily go away. And that there are people that have to go buy insurance on the private market, most of us have been exposed to high premiums, high co-pays, high deductibles, or narrow networks. And a narrow network means you're not going to some of the best cancer centers or children's hospitals in the country. Otherwise, you can't afford the premium. So we're not talking about millions of people. It might be less than 150,000 people. And again, we still have to have People covered. Our healthcare financing methods are a mess, but the way that Joe Biden's talking about it and the way it's being reported, not accurate. So what what did what did <laughs> this is loaded? What did Trump not do well during that debate? Oh, we don't have enough time for that, Brian. I just <laughs> okay. Come on, dig in. <laughs> all, all right, number number one. Okay, look, lack of depth. Okay, we've seen people grow in office. All right. And we've seen, you know, Winston Churchill, you know, rising to the occasion. The man just doesn't think. He keeps rambling on the same points. Like he's got, like he's, like, I don't know, stuck in neutral. He thinks he's talking to, to one of his rallies. He keeps interrupting, calling the Democrats socialists, interrupting the moderator, interrupting and name calling. And at one point, I said, man, he looks like Rodney Dangerfield with the, remember when Rodney used to pull on his shirt collar? Yeah. He had the same color tie and everything. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. And and plus, his whole delivery is like a, a stand-up comic, it, 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 the same cadence. Right. And, uh, you, you know, he, I, I was said he, I just 
think it's distasteful the gaslighting he did on whether Biden's smart or not. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing, he used the term underleveraged instead of explaining what the assets and liabilities are. I mean, it was a great opportunity to pause and go look. There's been some selective things leaked. I'm going to address one thing, kind of what I did at the beginning of this. But he, but he doesn't. He just he throws out a term as if your average American understands what underleverage means. All right. Okay. It means you could have borrowed more and you didn't. You know, your house is worth a lot more. Someone was willing to give you another mortgage on it. You go, you know, I don't want to owe that much. That's what he said. And, you know, we just don't have enough data to know whether that's true or not. You know, there's questions about how much tax he paid. And it's, again, it's a very complicated thing. He handed Biden the high ground about recovering from the economy. And then the last note I made when I was watching this in real time, and this is all capital letters, rude, rude, rude. It was hard. That, are you that was sure you asked that question? I am now. <laughs> no, I'm not. I got a kick out of it. So, wait, so I, 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 mean, I want to remind my listeners that every episode, I try to deliver something for everyone to dislike. And I think we we're pretty much there. So where do we go from here? Yeah, where do we go from here anyway? Well, I look at uh, a couple of things. So I think the attention is going to shift a little bit to the vice president. And right now, Kamala Harris has not met with the press since her nomination. I, I didn't I didn't realize that. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, Mike Pence hasn't been that visible either. And uh, I, I think those two could shake hands or bump elbows and say, America, don't worry. We're not letting any of these knuckleheads at the top of the ticket run things. <laughs> can't you us. see the headlines on the next day, next week, when they say, how come, you know, everybody's going to be going, well, why can't we just have these two? Yeah, exactly. And the question is, is Biden going to go to ground? Uh, I thought it was a terrible strategy because it, you know, it called into question, you know, how much energy he had. I think that's a legitimate question. And right now, I think the damage that the president did to himself pressures on Trump. He missed an opportunity to behave presidential, uh, but he didn't. Yeah. Do, do you think that it's at least being discussed in, uh, in, in, in Delaware for, for Biden to back out of the last two debates? Like, what's the point? That would be insane. You know it's been discussed. I mean, it has to have been brought up. I think the idea has been floated. Okay. Okay. I, I think it would be a terrible idea. And... If I'm Joe Biden, I don't know a way you can say that I'm not showing up uh, because then the narrative would turn to, you know, the president w without any kind of counterweight at all. And I and as I thought through this, I remember back in the primaries of 2016 and and Trump doing his thing. And I'm like, yeah, because the sideshow is going to be over at the nomination. He gets a nomination, and I'm thinking, okay, now he's going to act, you know, professional. He didn't, okay, and then he gets elected. I'm thinking, okay, now he's going to act presidential. He didn't, okay, he got inaugurated. He's going to act, you know, it's like, come on, you know. And so he's not going to be any different. A, a better man and a better professional would realize what a bad night he had. And say, all right, guys, what do I do? Yeah, and get ready for it. you. Got to you've got to understand that he he presented terribly in attacking the moderator and, and going off. I mean, he just yeah. Does your pick change before and after the debates? I mean, did you see that moving the needle? Oh, 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 did it ever? Well, look, the other thing too that we, eventually we got to talk about the street demonstrations mm -hmm. because I think Americans 
want a just society, period. They don't want sheriff's officers in Compton to be shot for sitting in their car. They don't want people of color to be abused by law enforcement. The vast majority of Americans are just so much better than those things. And this is where leadership comes in that starts at the top that says, look, I don't care what your reason is. You're not breaking a window. I don't care what your reason is. You're not setting fire to something. Do you think this changed the, does does this move the needle dramatically, this debate, do you think, as far as? Yes, I do. All right. And, and, And let me explain why. Before the debate, I was playing with one of those models about what states would win. And I thought, okay, Trump's going to win 306 electoral votes. They've got it like Texas in a dead heat and Florida and North Carolina. I think Trump's going to win all those states. I thought he might even have a chance to win Oregon. There's a lot of people in Oregon that just are disgusted at what's going on with their governor and with their mayor. Mm-hmm. After the debate, I think Trump might lose 75 to 25. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Because think about this. He brought no one new into his circle, and he repelled independence. And also, if you're a reluctant Republican, you don't like the guy, but you're afraid Joe Biden's going to get dragged to the left. You're afraid Biden's too old. Kamala Harris is a unknown quantity, you know, never had a job like this, et cetera. You might go, you know what, I'm going to hold my nose and vote for Trump and hopes for something better in four years. Mm-hmm. I got to wonder what people like that are thinking I agree. at this point. Yep, I and agree. so I think this opportunity for the president to give some confidence has been missed. And we now know with beyond a shadow of a doubt who this guy is. And it makes it really hard to embrace policies if it's embodied in somebody that is so reckless and so rude and you know so yeah. self-centered. And that's where I think this election may have changed based on that. We'll see. You know, again, there's still five weeks to go. But again, I before the debate, I thought Trump had this thing in the bag. Uh, and again, I'm not cheering for that outcome. It's just my analysis. After the debate, I thought this could pivot the other way. It could be a landslide. For, uh, for Biden. Okay, so we talked a lot more about the debates than I actually thought we would. That was that was interesting. What else is going on out there? Well, uh, before we leave the debate, just I want to say a couple of things. So first of all, I think that the debate shows how broken the parties are. Yeah. And I think it shows how terrible our news reporting is, and, and it's time to get back to the issues. But I but I also think in some ways it uh, it's brought America together because America agrees on a couple more things cut their microphones when they're not speaking. Right. And that Chris Wallace just doesn't get paid enough to do this. I don't care if they, whatever they pay him, it's not. Uh, but look, at in um, the, the uh, other thing that's really interesting is that we've had John Ratliff report that the CIA director Brennan briefed President Obama and others on the, quote, alleged approval by Hillary Clinton in July of 2016, a proposal from one of the foreign policy advisors that she had a plan to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal by saying he was involved with Russia to distract from her use of a private email server. And I'm going to get to the Senate hearing in a bit. But just strategically, I think one of the things that Democrats have really mishandled during this time 
if they would have just stepped back and let people see Trump for who Trump is, I don't know that he'd get that he being Trump would get even get through the primaries. I agree. I don't think we'd be here if that were true. I, yeah, I yeah, but the you know the what what's being uncovered now about what was known by whom and when, and I look at this charitably and say, okay, these guys looked at Trump and said, same things I said. He's not ready for the job. Not interested in learning the job, massive personal issues, and just said, "Oh man, this really isn't on the up and up." But we're going to stop this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And if, well, now that I hear myself say that, that's kind of what Peter Strzok said. But the other thing was the investigators for Mueller wiping their phones. Fourteen of them did yeah. that. And at first, I thought, well, maybe that's standard investigative procedure. You get done with a job and you clear up all your records, but when they discovered the first one, they said, oh, it was an accident. If you don't remember your password, you get so many tries and you can set your parameters in your phone to erase the phone. Well, there's enough people in the business that know that that's insane. Well, but, but they said, yeah, 14 people <laughs> right. accidentally erased their phone. All within the same time frame. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like if they would have said, no, that's our policy. We clean up the records. I could almost kind of believe that. But then we had James Comey testifying in front of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday, and I watched that from uh, start to finish. Mm-hmm. And remember going into this, the last time the committee met, both Rod Rosenstein and Sally Yates said, we would not have signed off on the FISA warrants had we known then what we know today. Also, in response to a direct question, James Comey said, I would not have signed off on it. That's right. And the interesting thing was the the divisiveness in the country. If there's anything we should agree on is that the FBI should be behaving itself no matter what. Every Democrat senator that got up there wanted to talk about something else, the Supreme Court, Donald Trump, and so forth. Okay. Oh, this is all in the past. We really need to talk about 2020. And the Republicans were acting like they should. They were doing their investigative job. Mm-hmm. And I haven't you know, seen much news reporting on this. And the things that Comey couldn't remember, like he doesn't know who prepared the FISA applications. He didn't know that the subsource was already known to be a Russian agent going back to 2009. And he tried to make a differentiation that his signature, which is required on FISA applications, is just a certification. It wasn't an affidavit. Right. And, and, you, and this is a guy that said he doesn't do weasel moves. And I've seen enough weasels in my life. This guy's a weasel. Comey admitted, again, he's under oath, that he didn't get the information about exculpatory information. And as Senator Graham pointed out, the law requires that in these ex parte, that means that the other side's not there, hearings that the law enforcement are supposed to tell the court all the information they had, uh, whether it helps their case or not. Comey also said under questioning was they put these FISA applications in, they were rejected by the court, then they added the information from the Steele dossier that they knew to be false, and then they got their FISA warrant. Now, 
I have friends on the left that says, well, that really doesn't matter because, you know, General Flynn did something or Paul Manafort did something. But I would say, no, you're respying on Carter Page, who was not only innocent completely, he was actually working for our CIA so that you could listen to the Trump campaign. And the agents that went to talk to Flynn came back and said, there's no there there. Mm-hmm. And they and they were closing the file and they reopened it and the timing of it and Comey right in the middle of all this is just highly suspect. He does not remember, this is Comey again, that the intelligence community gave an investigatory lead that the Clinton campaign was going to start a rumor. They knew this in September of 16. It was forwarded to Comey and to Peter Strzok and it, it, directly to Comey in an email Hillary will start a rumor as a means of distracting the public from her email servers. Yeah. And he claimed not to know any of that. I think this is Watergate big, and it's just flowing underneath the radar, and it's going away. Nobody's paying attention to it. This is huge. Yeah, I mean, and Comey says that politics should not be a part of fact-driven processes of criminal or counterintelligence investigations. And he tried to say, well, we played this by the book. I just want to know what book he was reading. Mm -hmm. And the way that, you know, again, Comey himself said he would not have signed the the FISA warrant. The Democrats and Republicans agreed. Russians tried to interfere. And they all agree no Americans were involved with that. And so, you know, when Ben Sass of Nebraska was questioning him, he said, where were you, Comey? And Comey said, well, responsibility was diffused, okay, about who actually made this FISA report. And it's really clear people that reported to Comey didn't think they'd ever be accountable. In the wrap-up, Senator Graham said he's going to call everyone who signed the warrant application against Carter Page, because so far, everyone that has testified to this said, that, that has signed it, said, I would not have signed it if I knew then what I know today. It would be excusable if we said, this is when I got the information. But now the information, was, by their own records, was in the possession of the FBI. And again, I'm, as you can tell, not a fan of President Trump. I think this is a dangerous moment in history. What we don't want to do is, for partisan purposes, to throw our law enforcement, uh, very powerful law enforcement and intelligence operations under the bus and corrupt them. So again, it comes down to this. Working for your country, working for the people of the United States, Democrats and Republicans should be united to say we are going to investigate the FBI and intelligence community abuses. We are going to punish the perpetrators and we are going to take corrective measures to make sure it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. that would be a solution in service of the people that elected you. Instead, what we have is partisans thinking it can advantage them or disadvantage them. And both parties are absolutely guilty of this. They need to change their ways. They won't do it until we demand it. And similarly, the reporting industry feeds us entertainment. They feed us innuendo. They feed us partial stories. They feed us sound bites. And people think they're informed. They're not. We need to demand a better product. And that's why we've got the common bridge. I can tell you that we have listeners from the left, from the right, every place in between, including the apolitical, 
And folks are telling us, as you well know, Brian, they like the fact that there can be some open discussion without an agenda. And we'll keep doing it as long as people encourage us along the way. And with that, I'd like to congratulate you on on your first season. Uh, when we come back after this episode next week, it'll be season two, and uh, and it and it's been a pleasure. Well, I appreciate uh, all the work that you do, and I'm very grateful to our audience and very grateful to our guests uh, for making it possible. That's uh, that's who, who we're really serving. So. Appreciate it, Brian. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge Podcast. Recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.